Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. We're back with another edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, your host, sports manager at Cleveland.com, and joined, as every week, by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from, from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. How are you doing, Terry? I am well, David. It's been a busy week here. I, I, I think we started off last week's podcast with something we were calling the big story of the week, and I came across this, and I thought you would like it, knowing what a hoop junkie you are. So, yes. This is by a reporter named Jacob Weedy, I think is how you pronounce his last name, U-I-T-T-I from The Guardian. Mm-hmm. He did a story this week on 20-year NBA players, and I had no idea that the club was this exclusive, but it's a really interesting story if you have a chance to catch it. He talked to Kevin Willis, who's one of eight members of the club, and part of the story was about Kevin Willis was begging Tim Duncan to play one more season so he could be part of the 20 year club <laughs> and he ended at 19. That's how important it was to wow. Kevin Willis, but it's a good story. It talks about um, how you have to take care of your body and how you have to change your game as you get mm-hmm. older. And so I thought being a hoops historian, as you are, I thought we would see, all right, so Kevin Willis is one of the eight guys and there's two who's going to, two players who are going to join the list this year and make it 10. But how many of the eight can you get Terry? So Kevin Willis is the first one. Carl Malone. That is a great guess, but he's not one of them. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So much for that. Vince Carter. Yes. Okay. Jabbar. Yes. Okay. Now I'm stuck. Um, Longtime Celtic. Part of the Bird era. I'm trying to think. Did Parrish play that long? You got it. You're Robert Parrish. Because I knew McHale didn't. See, notice, by the way, for the most part, they're big men. Uh, because of the uh, fact that uh, they could play with the bad knees, they could slow down. I remember you mentioned, uh, well, LeBron's going to join it, right? We were talking. I think we yes. were talking about that, right? Um, I think it was David Griffin, who was a Cavs GM, told me that um, when LeBron's later in his career, even if he has some injuries, he goes, he could turn around and play like Carl Malone because he was so big and strong. But although you know LeBron still plays sort of like LeBron, um, he does. He yeah, he it. hasn't. Yeah. He hasn't transformed yet into Carl Malone, but we might no. see that. But. Maybe he's so going to go you, for twenty-five years. You okay, never know. Uh, I'm trying to. I'll think give you. That. Let me give you a hint on another one. Another one was another Celtics big man who was a nemesis of LeBron when he was here the first time. Um, 
I was going to say, I don't know. I'm Kevin like, Garnett. Kevin Garnett. I Garnett did not played 20 years? Yeah, isn't that something? And the other three are Go ahead. Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Dirk played no- 20 years. See, Dirk, I, no- Dirk Nowitzki. I should have known Nowitzki. And Jamal Crawford, which was a surprise to me. He was Now, um, he is the outlier in this group because he was a shooting guard, small forward. Um, in fact, that's one of the things when we would talk about what to do with Colin Sexton. I said, if you come off the bench 20 to 25 minutes, you could be like uh, Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford. These guys, they play for a long time because their bodies don't get as beat up as when they're starting. Um, and Kevin Willis, oh, wow. Yeah, that's something. That's a good list. And, and uh, we were just mentioning, so LeBron is going to join and the list. Good at the players end of on there, too. And then really there's Kevin. Good. I don't mean to knock Kevin Willis, but he probably goes, How am I on that list? <laughs> yeah, it's a good story. And the other one who's going to join this season is Udonis Haslam of the Miami Heat. Yeah, he's who, the Kevin Willis of this year. Yeah. So, anyway, that's a good. So, there's going to be 10 at the end of this season mm-hmm. with those guys. Um, if you know if Udonis Haslam doesn't get cut or released, but I'm guessing they'll both finish the season. So it's a good list. But check out this story if you can. I thought it was interesting. So, uh, all right, Terry. Hey, so last week we spent some of the podcast talking about Guardians catching options, and boy, no sooner did our podcast go up than things started happening with the Guardians. Uh, first one was a big one, Josh Bell. Yeah, big signing for them, and a very interesting contract. We can talk about that. And then they also have signed a, a catcher. Uh, Mike Zanino, who lots of power, lots of strikeouts, good behind the plate. Apparently, which one you want to talk about first? Which one? Let's you want do Zanino since we did uh, we did catchers last week. So, all right. So, where do you stand on this? In terms, were you surprised, and do you think it's a good fit? Yeah, because I forgot about him because I knew he was hurt, and uh, he just wasn't mentioned much. I used to like him when he was with Seattle because even though he struck out a lot, he was good defensively. And uh, he hit now and then he hit a home run. The 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 veteran broadcaster, one of my favorite people all time, Mike Hegan, used to say, you know, once in a while he'll run into a fastball. And Hegan said he kind of swing hard at one part of the plate, and now and then it connects, and there it would go. And I've got Zanino stats up in front of me. This last year was a disaster for him. Uh, he hit 148. He only played uh, in 36 games. He had. Um, major shoulder surgery. Your job is to tell us what that injury is. (laughs) All right. So it's thoracic outlet syndrome. And I was like, all right, well, what exactly is that? And according to the Mayo Clinic, it's called TOS, thoracic outlet syndrome. It's a group of disorders that occur when blood vessels or nerves in the space between your collarbone and your first rib are compressed. It can cause shoulder and neck pain and numbness in your fingers. So it sounds like it wasn't just, uh, you know, some kind of ligaments or something like that in the joint. Right. It's not a clean out, you know, as they say there. And the numbness thing is a problem. Uh, a number of years ago, I can't remember who the pitcher was, but the uh, tribe brought him in at spring training to try and rehab. And he had been decent. As, he never did come back. Now, now, I'm not saying that's the case with Zanino. But the numbness was something that the, the player had to deal with and just could not get it together. So that's why uh, I think he sort of dropped off the radar and, the, you know, only in pro sports we go, he only got $6 million, but that's what he got. So, but if you look at his career, you know, the year before he had a career year, he hit, he hit uh, 
20, 33 homers, 62 RBIs, best 216, 860 OPS. Remember, good catcher defensively. But if you, for the most part, this is a guy who doesn't catch a ton of games. That was 109 games back in 21. Um, he has hit at least 20 homers four different times. He's never driven in a lot of runs. Uh, I think 64 is the most of his career. Uh, he was a very high draft choice. But this is hopefully you buy a year with him. Maybe you combine him and Naylor uh, to start the year, or they go and they bring in their version of Luke Naley this year and start May- uh, Bo Naylor in the minors. I mean, Bo Naylor is intriguing, David. When you talk about a guy that hits 20 homers, steals 20 bases, and is a catcher uh, in his early 20s, I think he just turned 23, and is learning Spanish to be able to communicate with pitchers, throws pretty well. Uh, this is a guy that uh, can really, uh, I think, be something special. And my guess is when they talk maybe to Oakland about Murphy and that, that they thought, you know, maybe we don't want to do this and just give up all these top prospects, give up Gavin Williams and Bonet or and that. Let's just try this with Zanino. So we'll see. I, I liked it because there's, just like with signing Bell, you gave up nobody. The contractual situations are just this year, basically. And they spent some money this year. Good. Between the two guys, they, they jacked it up uh, 23, they had 23 million to, to the payroll right there. Uh, so I think coming out of it, a little bit, maybe a little bit of uh, uh, the minor investors' money is coming into play here. And just the fact that uh, they're saying, we want to win now. Yeah, and you know, you know what this reminded me a little bit of, Terry, was the Mike Napoli signing. Mm-hmm. He was kind of late in his career and had, you know, had had some down years yeah. and came in and, and brought some pop to the lineup. And, like, it can't get much worse than it was last season for the Guardians catchers, right? And you've written this. It's like yeah, they, they, it was historically low. They batted 178, 178 yeah. batting average of, what, a 529 OPS, mm-hmm. uh, which I think was the lowest in the majors. So, like, the – you're going to get at least that, and you got the potential to get a lot more if he can if he can hit with some power and bring a different dimension to that. I'm glad you position. mentioned Napoli because I forgot all about that. I remember sitting in spring training with Napoli, and he had, I think, the first half of the year he played pretty well, and then he fell apart. I forgot where he was. He had got traded from Boston to Texas or something. But I said, "What was going on with you?" He had a sleep disorder, and he had vertigo. And that offseason, the Guardians, he was getting some treatment. They thought he was making progress. And they didn't know what it was, but it turned out that they were able to um, get him back online. And he said, I was getting two and three hours of sleep. And if you've ever had a time where you've had sleep disorder or something, David, where you're up there, you're staring at the ceiling and and that kind of stuff. In fact, what I've worn periodically, I get these really bad sinus headaches. Now you're getting a medical tip in the middle of this. <laughs> and I was talking to a friend of mine who was a doctor, and he said, you know, if you haven't fallen back to sleep in a half hour, he said, just turn on the light and read. Don't watch TV because that can keep you up, but read. He says, sometimes that'll relax you and help you get back to sleep. Because if you're sitting there after 20 or 30 minutes going, I'm not sleeping, I'm not sleeping, you're not going to sleep. You're going to just keep going on. So there you are. But Napoli, and then he turned around. We had party at Napoli's. Remember that? Uh, he was tailing off some at the end of the year, and they, they wisely dumped out of him because they knew that that was a year that they stole. But this guy could do the same thing. And Napoli would do some serious striking out, too, back then. 
<laughs> yeah, strikeouts and then hitting the scoreboard with home runs. Home, home runs, runs mostly and, the two options. Big teammate, you know, good teammate stuff. I know the Guardians over the years, by the way, have tried to, you know, they try to quantify everything. We we make fun of the Browns for having way too much analytics going. Well, the Guardians are too, but they also have, and Francona had a big influence on this, of the value of a teammate, the value of chemistry, and how that does matter over 162 games and over six to seven months of the season, and don't neglect it. And they even try to quantify it. They can't quite do it, but they I know they now have a whole list of glue guys that were brought in over the years and the impact on the team. And I think Zinio is another one of those. And by the way, so is, is Josh Bell. All right, let's talk about Josh Bell, Terry. So he had a press conference, meet the media thing uh, earlier this week, and you were in on that, and you were really impressed by what you heard from him. Yeah, they've had actually the two teams that have brought in guys this year have been very impressive in their first press conferences. And not that that's everything, but uh, Donovan Mitchell's was extraordinary. I remember that. Because remember, he did want to get traded to New York, and then he talked about Cleveland, and he talked about all the guys. He was, he knew what team he was going to and how he would fit in. Josh Bell did the same thing. I mean, from staying, saying, you know, I'm itching to play with Jose Ramirez. Talk about the top of the lineup, the top three guys all stealing 20 bases. Talked about how baseball is going in the Guardians' direction with the contact instead of the strikeouts. You know, talked about how the, he thinks that the, the shifts will help him, where you can't just put forty-seven guys on the right side of the infield when he's he's batting. Although, if you look at there's a tape online, a YouTube of Josh Bell's homers, and a bunch of them went to center into the op, left center field, or in other words, the opposite field. So that's what's nice about him. And um, so that was that was really good. And basically, what I think they did, this is the version of Carlos Santana. If you look at some of his years, even this past year, this would be kind of a typical Santana year. You know, 266 with 17 homers, 71 RBIs, but the uh, high um, on-base percentage, you know, 362, you know, 780 OPS. And and that's – it's just – and he plays all the time. He's a switch hitter because Francona loves having that guy to put behind Ramirez who's a switch hitter. So if you go through the lineup, David, Quan bats left-handed. He leaves off, although it doesn't matter. He hits everybody. Now, batting two is Ahmed. He is much better against lefties than righties, but he's not terrible against righties. Then Jose is Jose. Then you roll, roll Bell behind it, who hits, hits both sides of the plate. Then you could put Naylor fifth. Naylor, remember, hit 172 against lefties. So that was a problem. You roll him down. He DHs now. We don't have a lot of that him at first base. He could play some. I like how they put out this thing of, well, you know, Josh, if you could lose some weight, you could play some of the outfield. They just wanted to lose some weight. Josh Naylor, yes. Yeah, lose some. Yeah, that's where we got these Josh's on the team. Two Josh's. Yeah, <laughs> Naylor, yeah. If you just do this, lose some weight, you can play some of the outfield. You know, they, they wanted to lose some weight. And then, so he's batting fifth at left hand. Then you come in with Oscar batting sixth. And, and uh, Oscar, by the way, crushes lefty pitching. So that's a pretty good top six right there. And and Bill just fits in just like Carlos Santana did. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison, Terry. And I, I think you're right. The introductory press conferences, it's like there's the 
there's the connecting with the fans and everything, but it's also a great opportunity to see how guys think about the way they play the game. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like, hey, here's what I think about how I play. And it, it's interesting. You can kind of see the wheels turning in guys' heads. So I, 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 I got a lot out of what he said. How too. they fit. And then along that teammate line, he's kind of in the background with the um, Guardians now. But Neil Huntington, who grew up in their farm system and then became the GM in Pittsburgh for, I think, almost 10 years, uh, was with the Pirates when they drafted Bell in the second round back in 16 or excuse me, back in, I think it was 13. And then um, also was with them when he came to the big leagues in um, in 2016 was his first year. So he knows Bell extremely well. And, you know, that was one of their main resource guys. Well, what kind of guy is this? And, and that, you know, Bell had a book club in Washington and Pittsburgh where he would get kids to read and stuff like that. And now granted, I had a friend of mine who would say, you know, this guy, hey, I'm a, I would say this guy's a great guy or whatever, you know, on the team. You guys say, I'm a great guy too. That doesn't mean I get a roster spot. <laughs> so, but you're the great, but you prefer the guy, uh, be a good guy who can also play. And that's what the Guardians have specialized in. I mean, who was the last problem guy? Well, I guess it would be last year where, where Reyes got so fat and then didn't want to do anything. And you know what happened to him? Gone. And remember when Trevor Bauer decided he didn't want to come out of the game and threw the ball over the center field wall? I mean, 48 hours later, gone. And that's how they do business there. And that's why it's, like you said, it's important to get guys who fit at the front end instead of finding out later that they don't. So, Mm -hmm. um, Terry, real quick, the contract is interesting for Josh Bell. It's kind of a player-friendly thing because he can opt out after the 2023 season if he wants. Uh, and then there's a second year if he wants to stay. Uh, wh- what did you think of that? It was kind of an interesting setup, I thought, where he's betting on himself. All right. The first time I saw that contract, and it happened in Cleveland, who would it be, David? But it wasn't in baseball. Two for one. Who did the two for one? All right, I'll I help can't you. even think. Who, who LeBron is it? James, Mark Termini was – Rich Paul was the agent, but Mark Termini from Holy Name High, Case Western Reserve, was a contract negotiator. He came up with the two for one with LeBron at first year there. In other words, I could opt out after one year and it's for two. And he did that because they wanted to keep pressure on Dan Gilbert to, you know, do whatever. And then remember, then it was like two for three. So Scott Boros, by the way, this is the first time I remember an agent being on one of these conference calls. Scott comes rolling in there, you know, the sort of the Darth Vader of agents that everybody is fearful. And so he's on there. So he's explaining the contract to us. As somebody once told me, he's dealt with Boros, the world according to Scott. And the world (laughs) according to Scott is that my guy is preaching his peak at the age of 30. And my guy is going to just thrive in Cleveland. And I'm going to put my guy back on the market next year. And so we're taking a two for one. And then what he didn't say was that if my guy blows his knee out, he's guaranteed of $16 million the following year. It works for both sides. Meanwhile, he said, and he said this, he goes, I understand where Chris and the Guardians are coming from. They wanted to negate the risk on their side with a shorter contract. So we worked it out so that we get the best. Scott, suddenly the world, according to Scott, I invented this contract and it's best for everybody. And aren't we wonderful? And, you know, we could all sing Kumbaya together. When the, whenever the Guardians sign a deal with one of the Borels uh, free agents, I do think it's pretty close to like a Haley's Comet event. 
So 75 years see from now, we'll see another one. No, they are able to do it, you know, when, when these guys are younger and that. But when they're, you know, we'll see, maybe see another one. But that's why I just, you know, I knew Abreu was their number one guy. I didn't think they'd get him. And I knew Bell was number two. I didn't know who was number three, Jesus Aguilar or somebody. And I just didn't think it would happen with Bell, but it did. So a great sign. All right. Hey, we got to take a break here in a minute, Terry. But um, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned they're asking Josh Naylor to lose some weight. I, th- I think you wrote the other day, yeah. and, and this is on the roster. He's listed as 5'11", 250. <laughs> um, will, th- it, will that work? I mean, we saw Josh Naylor killing himself to get down the first yeah. baseline in the playoffs, and he hit the base funny, and that leg started to yeah. really act up on him. Is this a good idea, putting Josh Naylor in the outfield? No. Um, you don't need him. But that's fine. If it's a good idea to help him drop 20 pounds, fine. Uh, I don't think so. But I think uh, Tito has told us that he doesn't like a guy just to be only a DH. And so I think that he could play some first base, maybe plays a little bit of outfield. Uh, but right now, if you look at your – got your outfield, you got Quan, you got Straw, you got Oscar starting. Will Brennan, you know, my guy who I've been – you know, lobbying for it. They love him now. Now they love him. So thank goodness for that. Um, of course, I, the last two guys have been my guys. They've been great. Other prospects like Owen Miller, eh, it's not so good. You know, so I'm not saying I'm right all the time. But but on Oscar and Brennan uh, was correct. And basically, I was basing it off of minor league stats and things I had heard. So they have those four outfielders. You know, they do like Will Benson. Some I'm not I'm not high on Benson. They, it's not like they have a big need for an outfielder. But I think he would like to have that where – uh, maybe second game a doubleheader, but they really do would like Josh now to lose this extra 20 or so pounds. And I know that they have to figure out different ways for cardio and that to, I mean, the guy's career could have ended. That leg snapped. He, that he had all kinds of problems. And, you know, I mean, one guy said, well, Naylor's fat and, you know, Fran Mills fat. And what's the, well, the difference is Naylor is insane in trying to play well for this team. You know, Naylor will like, you know, he, he just, you, you, when you have a guy like that, you're not sure where he's rocking babies and butting heads, but this is kind of a intellectual, thoughtful team. That guy is the fire and he does produce, you know, he hit, he drove in 79 runs and uh, he hit 19 homers and, he crushed 20, righties. 20 homers, right? 20 homers, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, because there's 19 against righties and one against lefties. So that, that That's the breakdown. So this is really good. But, uh, Josh, you, you got to lay off the donuts or whatever's doing it. <laughs> I do think to, if they do put him out there, I, I think they're going to really try to keep it to yeah. home games and games on the road that are on grass. I mean, the last thing you want yeah. is to put – because that artificial turf, no, uh, no, nobody likes running on it. If and, he plays more than 15 games in the outfield – that meant probably uh, they had cataclysmic injuries in the outfield, or all of a sudden, Quan Gonzalez, all these guys stopped hitting. Yeah, or maybe it's a Sunday game when you need yeah. kind of a, yeah, a that's gonna be look. fine. So, Put yeah, them like out you there, said, double headers. Yep. Yeah. All right. Okay, Terry, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk some Cavaliers. Our show got off to a fast start today, unlike the Cavs. So there's the, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we're going to get into some of the Browns. I want to get your take on this week in Deshaun Watson and see how you feel about things there. <sighs> and then we got, we got a couple of good uh, Hey Terry questions we'll get into. And you have a book recommendation again yes. this week. So you are a prodigious reader. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell, Terry Pluto. Terry, let's get into the Cavaliers here. The Cavs are 17 and 11, three and a half games behind the Bucks in the Central Division. Kind of a disappointing, weird loss on Monday night. Uh, 112-111 at San Antonio, which is... Not a great team this year. I think they're no. nine and nine and eighteen after that one. Cavs really had no business losing to them, and this slow starts on the road is becoming a theme that that JB Bickerstaff and the front office are probably not happy about. What, what can they do here, and, and what have you been noticing about the way the Cavs are playing, especially early in road games? I just think sometimes they believe that they can get bailed out by Mitchell Garland and that. If they get behind, they can um, basically kind of outscore teams down the stretch. And I thought that uh, when they put Stevens in, it helped for a while as a starter. I still would stick with that, by the way. I would not go with anywhere else. You know, Levert uh, is is a is an issue too because of he's so inconsistent. He could play extremely well one day and then and not the next. And um, they're kind of baffling. I, I'm really, I I even really pay close attention to that, um, San, to the game in uh, San Antonio, and they just. Did you see it, David? Did you watch the game at all? Just parts of it. Yep. Yeah. They look chaotic to me at times, just running around. Then we had Austin Carr, who I admit is not my favorite. Wonderful, one of the most best guys I know. But not my favorite analyst. I really wish Fratello or somebody were on that game. And it's not a knock on Austin, but Mike brings. Um, and, and Doherty does too, because Doherty's a thinking man, was a thinking man center. A little more to what's going on out there defensively. And then they think, well, if we just slam them in the fourth quarter, it'd be really nice if they got up by 10 in the first quarter to see what would happen. Yeah, it was their first loss against an opponent that's below 500. And uh, yeah, JB, after the game, we decided we were going to do the right things and give ourselves a chance late, but the basketball gods don't like it. No. They favor those who do the right things for 48 minutes, and I thought the Spurs did that tonight. Uh, you know, I was talking with Chris Fedor yesterday, uh, the Cleveland.com beat writer for the team, and he actually got stuck in San Antonio yesterday. And we were talking about what, like what they can do. And, and you know this, Terry, I and mean, NBA coaches have two things they can use to to get players attention one is playing time and the other one is days off and he had them practice yesterday mm-hmm. on tuesday after that loss and i think he's trying to send a message that all right you don't want to work at the start of a game we'll work on on days when we don't have games and so it's i'm going to be interested to watch how he 
tries to course correct here as the season goes along, because this is the kind of thing where if you don't get it now, it'll be a thing and it'll go on the whole season. It it could. And I, I keep looking at shot distribution on the team. And right now you have Mitchell takes 21 shots a game. And it's hard to argue with that when you're shooting 40, almost 50%. Garland takes 17 shots a game. He's shooting 42. You know, but Garland shoots 38 on threes. Um, Mobley's taking eight shots a game. I'm sorry, 11 shots a game, and so is Levert. Jared Allen, who's having a terrible year from the field, only shooting 61% instead of his usual 70, is shoot, taking nine shots a game. And I just wish the guards sometimes wouldn't take as many quick shots, and I know some of them go in and just get these guys more involved even though they're towards the bottom of the league in pace I would still like to see him play a little slower David I just I think that would help them uh I'm I love this team I'm not this I'm 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 looking at the paint job I love the I love the way the car is built I really do it's got big guys who could defend it's got two guards who uh while they do shoot a lot they don't you don't go man those guys are just gutting and forgetting everybody else they're not doing that at all um and Mobley, I mean, what a player he is in his second year. We forget about how most of the guys that we saw at 19 and 20 come in here played as rookies. And Levert tries hard. He, his game for me has always been difficult to get my brain around. He's shooting 39%. Uh, so I do, you know, Chetty Osmond's Chetty Osmond. And to think that he's suddenly going to develop any sort of consistency at this point. No, you know, he's... You put him in that. They really miss love uh, and love being healthy because he he's only shooting 41%. That's low for him. He's got the fractured thumb. But also just his way he moves the ball and a, a steadying presence. Uh, they need to kind of get some bench stuff going. And I realize I'm all over the place because I don't have great answers for this. I'd love to sit in their meetings and see what their coaches say. And that's why I said I would have liked to not a knock so much on Austin, but I have so much respect for Fratello. Uh, I would have loved to see what he would have, how he would have done that game and how he would have saw it. Any thoughts? No, just, I, I think you're right about Kevin Love and you're talking about that when they do play chaotic and Kevin Love comes in, there's like a calming, there's like a calming effect at both right. ends of the floor. Like he draws charges. He, he rebounds. He hits a three when you need it. I, I just think he having that he's like a security blanket that you can go to sometimes when things are getting a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think this might just be the growing pains of this team that we're seeing. And I'm, and Chris Fedor had this in his story that I am really struck by the difference in Garland's stats on the road and at home. Yeah, I don't know. Eleven what games that's about. at home, eleven on the road. Twenty-six point one points per game on the road. Sixteen point six. I mean, sorry, twenty-six point one at home. Sixteen point six on the road. He's shooting fifty percent at home, and thirty-three percent on the road. He's shooting forty-seven percent on threes at home, and twenty-eight percent on the road. Uh, even his plus-minus is is it's plus eleven at home and minus five on the road. It's just, it's so dramatic. And I know it's different playing at, at the field house versus, maybe it's you know, like San one Antonio, of those, half the place was empty the other night. It's, but it's maybe different. it's like one of those rims, like in the carnivals, you know, where they, to win the big bear, but then you realize when you have a little ball to throw it in there, that that ball actually doesn't fit in the rim. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it, it, it is odd. Um, you know, there's a famous scene in, in, uh, Hoosiers where, uh, 
they go out and they're the Butler field house and Gene Hackman has one of the little players get on the big guys thing. And they measure that the rim is still 10 feet and the foul line is still 15 feet and it's still the same game. But there is a reason, by the way, that last time I looked, I think there were only five NBA teams with winning records on the road. Now, some of it is travel and some of it officials, even though I have friends, NBA officials, they say we try to do the, same, but there's a reason you can look through. Like Scott Foster is a veteran official now. It's a much better um, – you're much better off with him on the road than some of these others. In fact, sometimes some of these officials are almost contrary. When the crowd's yelling at them, they're not sure which way to go. They'll go with a visiting team. But most of the time, if you're not sure with it and you're going to have 20,000 people scream at you or 20,000 people cheer and you're not sure, ah, oh, the heck with it, I'm going with the home team. And that's human nature. So that, that's part of it, but it doesn't explain um, Garland's problems. Uh, I'm, I think I'm with you that this is just another growing thing. And I don't want them to become so dependent on Mitchell. I need to write about this some. Because Mitchell is such an extraordinary talent, and he clearly is – the players like him. You could tell that. And he's a team guy. But you can't just have him want to you know, bail you out. And one other thing about, I think, security blankets, if they could get Rubio up and playing in January, and then you bring Rubio in with Love and maybe with Levert, that could slow everything down and get Levert playing the right way and get that uh, – second unit going because I think they're bottom five and bench scoring this year. Yeah. And that all could change with, with Rubio coming back. Mm-hmm. He does make everybody better out there. This And remember last year when he was hurt, he and Garland, one of the most remarkable stats I've seen had the best plus minus of any two combination players in the NBA. It was like a plus eight or whatever they're on the floor. It was just incredible. So that might help Darius too. I will say this. Poor Darius. Every time I look up, he's getting hit in the face. It's been one of those seasons for him. Yeah. From the, from the first night. So, all right, Terry, the Cavs are at Dallas tonight to finish that quick two game trip. It's a nine o'clock tip off on Wednesday night. And when we're taping, we're taping this on Wednesday afternoon and maybe the six game homestand will help them get some things right. Uh, Six games in a row at home, Friday against Indiana, Saturday against Dallas, Monday against Utah, next Wednesday against Milwaukee, then Friday, the 23rd, Toronto, and then there's Christmas, and then they're back on the 26th at home against Brooklyn. So that's a good long homestand. They'll get to uh, sleep in their own beds, and yeah, we'll see if they can get on a roll. One last point on that. I remember when Lenny Wilkins, I was covering the Cavs with Lenny Wilkins, and they had a breakthrough year in, uh, I think it was 89. In fact, it was the year of the shot. They won 57 games. And Lenny said, we need to be, his goal for that year is be dominant at home and not terrible on the road. Because he had a younger team than what Price, Doherty, Harper, all those guys. And I think they went 35 and 6 at home. And so then they went, you know, 22 and whatever it was on the road. But that changed the trajectory of the season. And the Coliseum was hopping and loud. And those crowds at the at the field house, they are loud. They are into they are in love with this team. And this reminds me of that time in the late 80s, early 90s, when the Cavs were putting together that. But there were a lot of ups and downs with that group, too, as it was trying to find its own identity. So um, I'm just, David, I love basketball. You could tell how uh, excited I get. And and I just am so thrilled that they are out of the LeBron stuff, into their own identity. 
they trade for a superstar who doesn't act like a superstar. He acts like just a team leader. And they have a coach that I trust. And I just think this thing's really going to work out. All right. How about Browns now, Terry? All right. We, <laughs> from, from a team you have loved to write about to one you've had some – I've had to write about a lot. You've had to write about this yeah. season. So the Browns uh, lose to Cincinnati on Sunday. Deshaun Watson today out in Berea, uh, he was speaking to reporters. He says basically he's a long way from where he wants to be, and he realizes that. Um, what did you think of week two of the Deshaun Watson era on the field? Well, at least he looked like he played football before, and I don't mean to be negative. You you look at the tapes of that guy at Houston, and clearly he had so much going on in his mind emotionally. He just was not ready for that game. Uh, and he, he looked like one of those Browns bad quarterbacks that they had in here. Now, this time they, they had trouble getting the ball in the end zone, but at least um, – he, I think he completed like 60-some percent of his passes. Yeah, I can throw his numbers in real quick, Terry. 26 of 42, uh, 61.9%, 276 yards with the one touchdown, the one interception, and mm-hmm. a 79.1 passer rating. Yeah. I mean, what's hurting him is he can't get the ball in the end zone. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to, to score with that. But uh, that looked better. I will – what if our film breakdown guys? What are they saying? Because where I, I where I feel confident talking about the the Cavs or baseball, I don't in football. And even though I've watched it for a long time, uh, I just don't. Yeah. So Lance Reisland, who does a lot of film stuff for us, is still kind of working on that this week. But I, I got to be honest, Terry. I, we can get into this now. But this, this offensive line is not living up to its reputation no. this season. And I think part of it is that they're on their third string center. And that is what it is. I mean, they've had injuries to mm-hmm. th- their starter got injured before, before the season even started. Um, the guy they brought yeah, in, to Nick be Harris, you almost forget his name. Yeah, I was I mean, trying to think. Nick, that seems like it was five years ago. Yeah. When Nick, Har- Nick Harris went down and then Postich comes in and plays really well. And then he gets hurt. And now, you know, it's basically their third string center. Uh, I mean, some people Hulk, are following so. that. I guess I can't hold Andrew Barry real big responsible for that when you, you have Harris, and you went out and got probably the best sort of backup veteran I could start center around. I mean, you'd like to have a third one, but really it's hard to imagine losing two centers. I mean, I don't think any of the offensive linemen had a good game on Sunday. None of them graded well, and, and I think Wyatt Teller is still battling that calf yeah. injury, and I think that Jack Conklin is still banged up. and Betonio Conklin is... could be near, nearing the end uh, uh, because he wasn't – good last season either he kept getting hurt and and sunday we saw terry all the all we hear from fans is run the ball run the ball run the ball well they tried to run it and it they couldn't run it they couldn't run sunday they couldn't no they couldn't um i will say this in defense of the linemen when because i've heard this from when i was in houston doing some work on what happened in houston with uh uh with sean which is you know a pretty interesting thing and how he he acts to be traded and all that. But one of the things that with all the he averaged forty seven sacks a year the last three full years he played is the linemen just don't know where he's going. Which is they a great point. Yeah, they don't know and they feel like. In fact, I remember Batonio said, "Well, you know," he goes, "Well, you know what, Deshaun, you have to block forever." Then he caught himself and said, "Well, that's true with every quarterback." Uh, no, it's not. 
And because a lot of times you're blocking a guy in a certain direction and then suddenly Deshaun's running there. But that's sort of the way he plays. Now, he breaks a lot of plays and, and, and creates a lot of good things doing that too. But right now the Browns are just getting used to that. So it's um, – it's just so disappointing. I just feel, I mean, I read the, now I'm getting like a Browns therapy session emails. You know, my name is Fred. I'm hooked on the Browns. They are driving me months. (laughs) I remember going, my dad loved Otto Graham. You know, I remember Frank Ryan, you know, or whatever it is, or, you know, I'm a young Browns fan. My father tells me about Bernie Kosar in those days and I feel like it was a thousand years. I don't see it. My first quarterback was Tim Couch. It's like, when am I going to see anything? Well, and you've said this when we've been talking, Terry. This the rest of the season is like preseason for twenty twenty three, and that's basically mm-hmm. what we're what we're down to here. And now here's I, see what that's going to be worth is. tracking is is are we seeing what the Browns' offense is going to look like with if the offensive line can get healthier and play better. And then if, if they can start figuring out the nuances of blocking for Watson and where he's going to be on four seconds into a pattern. So, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, Jerry, no, it's fine. But I want to ask you this because I have a theory, but I want to throw it at you first. Tactics aside, what do you want to see from Stefanski in these last uh, games? Well, four, there's four one, left. Yeah. One thing well, I want to see. The game, let's go through the games first, so because I think it's significant who they play. So you got Baltimore coming up, and then it's um, is it the Saints, I believe. Yes, on Christmas Eve. Okay, so the, Baltimore's a huge game. The Saints, I don't know where they're what they're thinking. Commanders, they think they're going to the playoffs, and so maybe they are. And Pittsburgh just loves to destroy Cleveland at the end of the season. So in three of those four games, those teams, I think, are going to come at the Browns hard. Okay, now my question about Stefanski with those four games. All right, so one thing that I want to see, Terry, is I want to see the Browns succeeding on fourth down. If they're, if we, we, Fans <laughs> yeah. have been debating this the whole season. When he, mm-hmm. when he d- didn't sneak, people are like, you should have didn't quarterback sneak. And then he brings in Jacoby Brissett, but he doesn't sneak. He has him throw a pass <laughs> down the field on fourth down over the head of Donovan Peoples-Jones into the end zone when everybody thought – I mean, the quarterback sneak might not have worked because DJ Reader of the Bengals, their, yeah. their awesome defensive tackle, was blowing up every run play. But I just if, – if you're going to go for it on fourth down, you got to start making some of these. Like, And, and the same thing – what did you think, Terry? I, I don't want to turn this into a 10-minute discussion, but at the end of the first half, they're on the 50-yard line, and Cade York is – going crazy on the sidelines like please let me try a 68 yarder please i can make this i can make this and we've seen them get kicks blocked and kate york had some problems earlier but like he's 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 probably fixed those by now every time you don't kick on fourth down and you say you always say three points is better than none Mm -hmm. every time you fail on fourth down you're either giving up three points or you're giving up 40 yards and I thought, like, like what, what's to lose on a 68-yard field goal at the end of the first half with your big leg kicker versus heaving a Hail Mary into the end zone and hoping? Um, I just want to see more success on fourth yeah, down. If they're going to do this, they got to figure out how to do it. I, I would have liked to have seen that because with well, your alternative, you said heaving, heaving it in the end zone. If if you're so fearful of it getting blocked and them turning it into a touchdown, you got – frankly, you should fire your special teams coach if that's what you're that fearful of. 
and I don't know what else, because otherwise, I mean, you probably wasn't going to make it. Uh, by the way, I thought it was curious that after the game, because I was uh, where Stefanski said, well, there were three eligibles. Remember the thing about Joey Kobe Brissett? So are you saying there were two other options that he didn't go to? Or The tough thing in those press conferences, you ask a question, and somebody else that's another question, you kind of lose the flow. Uh, but I don't know what that was. Well, in perspective, Terry, that is as much of a of a Stefanski way of saying he should have thrown to somebody else as you're yeah. ever going to get, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in the world of Kevin Stefanski, that was basically saying that play was not designed to go there and it should have gone somebody else. But the critics are correct. If Deshaun's your guy and it's fourth and one, and he is so mobile, I mean, he could have run an RPO. He could have done Just roll him out. Yeah. I mean, if some of this has to start working, and – it, it, none of it is. Right but what now. I want to see uh, to to my where well, you mentioned Stefanski there to go back to the point. How do they play in these games? Now are these guys just all quitting, or what's going on? Or do they feel we're just here to get prop up Deshaun and see how this goes? No, I want to see this. How they play because I mean Baltimore could pull some guy out of the stands at quarterback. And they could bring Duck Hodges back, who's probably a free agent now, like the, the Steelers did. And they're still going to come and try to knock the Browns' heads off. And Mike Tomlin's group, they're, they're going to try to do it. And, you know, Ron Rivera's another guy. You know, he's a, he's a hard ass, and he's coming after them. So I want to see how they hold up on this. This is NFC – I'm sorry, AFC North December football. Let's see what they do. And, Kevin, let's see if you have these guys' attention and have them ready for these games. You're not the only coach with a beat-up offensive line. And the I players, mean, and you're right, Terry, it's going to be how hard are they going to play? The how last hard are they going to play? The, the, players know, the players know when coaches are on their way out. And yes, they do. So that that's why I mean, he a, has to, to do that. And and right now, I mean, I, you know, we'll, we'll talk. we got plenty of time to deal with Stefanski's future. So, But this is the thing that I'm, I'm going to write about for this weekend. I want to see what they do. Yeah, and just to be clear, I, I'm not thinking that Kevin Stefanski's – Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague, has written that Stefanski's job is safe. I'm talking about the rest of the staff in terms of who they might – Oh, yeah, you be, and you better yeah. make some changes. But, but I also want to see – I mean, I remember when Mangini was here. I'm going, oh, I know, people hate it when I start doing that. First of all, they would have been running, you know, laps around the Ohio River for all those penalties – because um, that's how Mancini cut. I'm serious. He cut their, their penalties like by 65% when he came in. You can do that. Secondly, uh, the end of his first year when they were like, they ended on a four-game winning streak. I think they had won only one game until then or two. And I thought the whole thing was falling apart. He put Brady Quinn in. They went to Brady Quinn, a no-huddle offense with Brady given three plays at the line of scrimmage. And they ran it 9,000 times, and they won four games. And Josh Cribbs was in the middle of everything. And you know what it was? It was a sign of creativity. But it also showed me where there were all these things that these guys hate Mangini. They're quitting on them. They didn't. Good parallel. And there's nothing to lose. So no. why not kick a 67-yard or see what That's happens. what I mean. And he would have probably tried that. He would have he would, he, there because, I mean, nobody says, you know the way to save the season? Let's put Brady Quinn in there. Let's go to no huddle. Let's give him a couple plays. Let's only throw it about 17 times a game and hope it snows. That was the <laughs> game plan, and it worked. All right. 
All right, Terry, ready for some Hey Terry questions? Mm-hmm. Let's go. All right, this first one, this is from John O'Sullivan, and he's from a place called Skanetales, New York. Have you heard of this? S-K-A-N-E-A-T-E-L-E-S. Skanetales. No. I hope I got okay. that right, John. I apologize if I didn't. He says, hey, Der- hey, Terry and David, enjoying your podcast between that and my subscription to Cleveland.com. Thanks for the plug. I did not put that in here. I Good. stay connected to Cleveland Sports. Question number one, do you think we're giving Deshaun Watson too much of a pass for the 700 days off? It's not like he spent those days locked in a cave. He worked out plenty. <laughs> Don't we expect a backup quarterback to come in when QB1 is hurt and do reasonably well with the offense without any game reps? He's Deshaun Watson, for crying out loud. Question number two, the Cleveland media has been very vocal that he's not talking about or taking responsibility for the sexual assault allegations. It strikes me as foolish to do that when there's still open litigation. Any forthrightness would be used as a hammer in the settlement talks. I think you're right on point two, John. I don't think he wants any kind of admit, uh, admitting of anything because you're right, that would come up in court. Um, Terry, on number one, are people giving Deshaun Watson too much slack for the long layoff and giving him time to work this rust off? I just think there's no substitute for playing on game conditions as a quarterback. I mean, he does look like he's in shape. You don't see him winded or any of that kind of stuff. I, w- I was watching that. Um, I cannot think of a parallel situation where a guy did not play all of last year, missed the next 11 games of the following year, and then was dropped in the middle of December football as a quarterback. I can't think of that. And that's why I kept writing, this is going to be hard. The NFL is unforgiving. Now, self-inflicted wounds, of course, led to the suspension and these other problems. The Browns' decision to go all in on Watson makes them as culpable or more so than Watson. But that's the reality. And let's see how it goes the next few games before we draw any grand conclusions. Now, if he's playing like this in weeks five and, yeah, he has six, six games to go. So it's fifth and sixth games. Then I think we have a bigger thing to do. But I have to admit, I, I would love to put truth serum on these people in Berea say, what would you think if you knew the first two games of Deshaun Watson, they would go have 21 possessions and one touchdown? They would have been surprised. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that question. We really appreciate that, John. And uh, write us again. All right. This one is from longtime friend of the podcast, Caleb Mackey from Columbus. He says, hey, Terry and David, the development of Evan Mobley could be the most important component to the Cavs' future success and championship aspirations. There's been a lot of chatter about Evan Mobley molding his body so that he can be the next Giannis. Sure, strength and conditioning is an important component to any modern NBA player's regimen, but I'm afraid that that this is a little bit of round peg, square hole. LeBron approaching Kareem's scoring record got me thinking about Mobley's development. I suggest he should try a more old school approach and work on perfecting a sky hook. I think that this would fit his game much more naturally than trying to become a muscle-bound bulldozer like Giannis. Wouldn't his time be better spent in the gym working on a sky hook rather than trying to develop a body type that might never happen? They keep saying the sky's the limit for Mobley. Well, you can't aim any higher than emulating Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's unstoppable shot that made him the all-time leading scorer. Thanks for all you do. Cleveland sports fans are so lucky to have you. Well, thanks for that, Caleb. We appreciate that. This is an interesting one, Terry. What do you think? A sky hook for Evan Mobley. Sky hook, no. Jump hook, yes. You know, the short little hook shots. The tough thing about the sky hook is you – you have to be really skilled to shoot that. It's a generally it's a low percentage shot, but he is so he needs to get stronger in the lower body so when he gets positioned near the rim, uh, he could hold it. 
and throw it up. And I would rather see him develop more as an inside player uh, than try to be Gian- – I mean, you know, we say be Giannis or be LeBron. I mean, you're talking about these are just phenomenal players. They are generational players. And also, Mobley's so young, I don't know which way his game is going to go. But I do know he's set almost seven foot one, and he's probably going to fill out. And that near the basket, there are points to be had because not only can you score, you draw fouls. See, the big misconception about threes are better than twos, and you're better off shooting a, you know three threes from this line than, than, than shooting three shots near the basket is it ignores the fact that far more fouls are drawn when you're near the rim in the low post. And also when you're in the rim near the low post. And even if you miss, oftentimes you get that rebound on the weak side because teams are double teaming you and that leaves somebody open to crash the boards. And that's old school, but I will tell you it's a fact and they don't talk about it. So I would like to see Evan, yes, develop his outside shot, but I don't need Evan Mobley jacking up four three-pointers a game. You know, want to just, just figure this out. But we work on that lower body. But you would like to see like a baby hook maybe. Oh, yeah. Kareem yeah. had the, the sky hook it, and the baby hook. It, it's kind of hard now with the, the kind of the – to shoot that sky hook. It, it takes a little while to get it off, and the lane's crowded. Probably be called for traveling anyway. Yeah. How Kareem would yeah, have been. Depends, yeah, if that group from New York showed up. <laughs> My goodness. What yeah. was all that? Uh, just You notice how that went away then? Yeah, right away. Yeah. They heard, it they just, heard our podcast last week, and they took action. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Terry, this is the last one. This is also from a longtime friend of the pod, Ed Raditz from Sandusky. He says, Terry and David, I was going to write you about this anyway, and you ended the 12-6 podcast with book recommendations, which is what I wanted to write about. I just read Jason Grimsley's book, Cross-Stitched, that was just published in the last two weeks. Jason, if you recall, was the Cleveland Indians relief pitcher slash thief who stole Albert Bell's corked (laughs) bat from the umpire locker room at Comiskey Park. Climbing re- through the ceiling. And replaced it with a Paul Sorrento bat. It's or it's basically Jason's autobiography about how God has guided his life through mm-hmm. cocaine and alcohol abuse, PED abuse, a botched suicide, and it shows how much God loves us despite even being a player for the New York Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy read, gut-wrenching, and tear-jerking all, all, at times, and I highly recommend it. And uh, thanks for listening. Oh, he says thanks for listening. He says thanks to listening for us, but he says I love your weekly podcast. Thanks for that book recommendation, Ed. That sounds like a good wow. one. Wow, I had no idea about Grimsley writing a book. That is fascinating. I remember uh, after he did that and got caught, and we were talking to Hargrove about it. Mike Hargrove, the manager. Then he goes, "Jason's the kind of guy that would kind of lead the charge, storming the pillbox." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like World War II reference. Um, that is that is. I'm glad to hear Jason because straighten out because he was in bad shape when he was in Cleveland, you know, in his life and that. Uh, so that's a good one. Um, okay, I got two of them. Uh, one of my favorite Christian writers, his name is Philip Yancey, and uh, Yancey wrote uh, one of the books is uh, "What's So Amazing About Grace," but he's got several other ones. And one another one called "Prayer." Uh, Why does it matter? Uh, Philip Yancey on the Christian point of view. And then kind of a Christmas story. I found this for a dollar in a used bookstore. And it's called Empty Stockings by a guy named Dennis. is D-E-N-I-S Hamill, H-A-M-I-L-L. And Dennis Hamill, 
His brother, Pete Hamill, is sort of a more famous writer, but Dennis Hamill wrote for the New York Daily News and that, and then has written several episodes of Law and Order SUV. Empty Stockings is about Brooklyn in the early 60s, and it's kind of a his, his father was in the Merchant Marines and they fell off a building. And here's a, a, it's a, it's a coming of age story of a guy just trying to keep his family together and uh, a lot of ethnic uh, references and that. And since I grew up in kind of an ethnic environment in Cleveland, it, it spoke to me, Dennis Hamill, empty stockings or Philip Yancey, almost anything that he writes, uh, I do happen to like, but I really like uh, what's so amazing a grace about grace and another one called prayer. All right, we've got three book recommendations this week, and it is uh, Christmas time. So if you're looking for a present for someone, that is, those are some good ones there. You so. know, I know a guy who wrote a whole bunch of them you could buy. <laughs> That's right, and you can find them all at terrypluto.com. Terrypluto.com, <laughs> they are there. <laughs> great stocking stuffers. So, hey, thanks for all the letters uh, this week. Some really great questions in there, and you can send us a question or comment about the podcast at sports at cleveland.com and just put Terry's talking on the subject line. We'll try and get you on next week's podcast. And John O'Sullivan or one of our letter writers today mentioned that he is a subscriber to cleveland.com. And if you want to subscribe or buy a gift subscription for somebody, I think the easiest way to do it is go to cleveland.com slash Browns. There's a blue banner at the top of the page and you can sign up there. It's a great gift. It's a great thing. You get a lot of stuff with it. We You get free texts from our beat reporters who are out covering the team. They'll text right to your phone so you don't have to be dealing with uh, social media. We have a Browns newsletter. And if you're into the other teams, we have um, texting services for that. And you get everything on cleveland.com for free after you subscribe. So I think that's it, Terry. We good? I am good. All right. Have a great week, everybody. We will catch you next week on Terry's Talking.